it gets down to how we invest in and how we fund sort of our projects. And again, that'll be different. If you if you're embarking on a new product that's never been done by anyone before, that's going to require a different way of funding than a fixed set of teams to maintain a product that's currently in production. Yeah. So what they want to do in that case, what I would suggest to them is sort of saying, there's an amount we need to maintain and support sustainably a product. Uh Here's the amount we're going to ask for on a yearly basis. Now, if you want to add to that product, uh, here's the amount per year we're going to need. And every three months we'll reassess if you want us to move faster or slower on the pace of innovation for that particular product. So going from project to a product sort of style of funding, but blending, taking, separating the two amounts of money we're getting. Yeah. We're getting an amount of money for sustaining and supporting what we have. And then we have this variable amount of investment we can do for improving and adding. And you get to choose how you fund the innovation in, in that way. Okay. And some projects will have almost no innovation funding and some projects will have almost all innovation funding. Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Leading Agile Sound Notes. I have a special guest today. Troy McGinnis is here. So, Troy, thank you for making time in your afternoon to help me. Thank you for entertaining me. Um, if, if you are someone who needs to know anything about metrics or measuring or forecasting, there is no better place to go than Troy McGinnis. He is, as someone described, I, one of my favorite things somebody said about you was that you were like a national resource for the Agile community. Um because we all mistakes than other people. That's all. I've just done it before. So I called Troy and and pitched my problem to him, and he made my head explode. So I'm going to try to set it up again. But before we do that, would you mind taking a second to tell these folks about your work and focused objective and and your goal in life? Oh, the goal in life, survive. Uh, the <laughs> uh, the my background though is uh, I've come up from the software world. Uh, I ended up at one point being an executive having lots of software types formerly like me talk to me uh, and I uh, had to sort of then be the negotiator between tech and business. <laughs> and uh, in doing that, I sort of uh, found some ways which work in communicating forecasts and uncertainty that that may or may not uh, be known. And, you know, I've also found sort of what metrics tend to indicate where problems are going to occur. And I I sort of tend to go around and do training on those now in forecasting and, and data-driven coaching. And you make math less scary for the rest of us. Yeah. If addition and division is scary, then you're probably in the wrong field. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's, uh, it's simpler than what people make out. And and before we get into the topic, Troy's got a courses available on his website. Um, and a lot of them will answer some of the questions or at least teach people how to think about the questions we're going to talk about, right? Yeah, I mean, we they, they come all about, uh, they're sort of case study driven, like we're going to replace a website's checkout path, let's do a forecast on it. So um, they, I tend to find the best way of teaching this stuff is to uh, start off showing where it went wrong and then talk about solutions to, uh, to fixing that. So yeah, uh, a lot of the stories I'm going to give you today probably, you know, I cover during the training, or I okay. actually make them cover during the training. And uh and then we uh, we end up better for it, I hope. Okay. Um, 
So here's here's my situation. I am working with a client and I've been doing some training on estimation and I've been teaching story point estimation and and affinity estimates, like different ways of estimating work, um, all with the basic idea that, in my opinion, story points or or affinity estimation is valuable because it creates a conversation, not because the numbers you come up with are really valuable to anybody outside the, the structure of the team. Um, in this organization, there is a strong push from management to get to a place where all the teams are measuring their work the same way because they, as I understand it, believe that that will give them predictability. So there's a consideration of moving to the like the thing out of scale uh, framework where a point is a day. Okay, so let's say there's 30, 40 teams, and if they're all estimating work with a point equaling a day, then theoretically, I guess, the idea is that You'd be comparing apples to apples all across the company. It'd be easier to forecast when everything will be ready to, to launch. Sure. And I'm I'm going to lay that at your feet and let you blow holes in it. Yeah, I mean, you know, going to look at sort of the motivation of why they want that, and and even why Safe ended up sort of recommending that. You know, okay. it was that there's a set of questions at the executive level where Safe like to sell to because it's got a ticket enough number attached to implementation that you've got to get signed off at the executive level, right? Yeah. So some of the objections about um, forecasting software projects versus forecasting building a house mm -hmm. or something that's known and been done repetitively before in a factory, for instance, is the fact that imagine you're the executive and some people come to you with money and sort of saying, I need this amount of money to build this data center. And then you get the software people come to you sort of saying, yeah, it's about 150 points. <laughs> right. How much is that going to cost me? You know, like, like, like I, I just need to, I need to allocate budget. I need to work out yeah. uh, how much of that budget I can use as a tax deduction. I need to know how many people I need to hire. I need to know what skills they need. And you just tell me 120,000 points. Like, it doesn't answer my questions at all. Yeah. So a lot of the time to get back to a dollar value of investment is they want to calculate how much it costs them to run IT for a day and how many days is it going to take to do that project? I can okay. write a check for a certain amount. And your finance people can sort of say, those staff doing are doing new work, so that's an innovation tax deduction. And then I know exactly how to write that dollar amount down on paper. But that is at odds with uh, being in an industry where we're building one-offs repetitively. And yeah. not only are we building one-offs repetitively, sometimes we're going to be the first ever to build a one-off no one's done it before. We're inventing it, uh, and yet we're expected to give the same degree of certainty for our answer of how long it's going to take so they can write a check and invest in it, knowing roughly what the parameters are. Okay. So that tends to be the motivation of why someone at an executive level wants it brought down to a day value, and yeah. they don't want different teams to do it different ways because then it gets hard for them to put it all on the one balance sheet or in the one budget cycle. Okay. So they want to normalize it. Um, so it's a fear of uncertainty. So can I throw in a, a thing here just real quick? What's going on in my head is I'm thinking about the fact that if this was Ford and we were all working for Frederick Taylor, we can actually figure out the burn rate of the team to build one car, figure out how much it costs a day, estimate this car in points. We know how much a point costs because it's the burn rate of the team and everybody does the same thing every single day. We always build the same car. So 
it's really easy to figure that out. And from a tax perspective, we can figure that stuff out as well. But Mm -hmm. what you're talking about, what we're doing now is one day we're building a car that no one's even thought of yet. The next day we're building a, a boat that no one's ever thought of yet. Like every single day we're doing something completely different. Some of us are, some of us aren't. So you know, okay. there's some teams in an organization who are doing very similar work to what they were doing last week. They might be working on version 147. Okay. You know? um, and some teams are, are, are doing brand new innovation. So it's even within an organization, there will be certain teams doing it, doing work that is easier to predict than other teams. Okay. Um, so even the desire to make every team have the same level of uh, of detail or reliability in their forecast is a is a not a wise ask, right? Because then okay. what are you going to do? You're going to sort of say, what will happen if you do that? If you force at an executive level, is you sort mm-hmm. of drive out innovation and risk in the company, and you end up being overtaken by a competitor, right? So, okay. so I mean, you can run a software business in a in a very sort of controlled way, but you mm-hmm. do that by dampening down uh, innovation and risk okay. uh, to a point where nothing new gets done because it never gets funded or it's not allowed to be done, right? So, so the innovation is is kind of hamstrung by the metrics they have to be able to follow in order to demonstrate progress. Yeah, that's right. And companies go through different cycles. If you're about to be acquired by someone or you've just had recent venture capital investment, those people have a very different risk tolerance uh-huh. than a company which is a startup growing and going all out with innovation, right? Okay. So even even um, you go as you go into an org and you see these dysfunctions of forecasting and estimation and accounting around software. Yeah. Uh, you got to you got to you got to dig a little bit deeper and sort of saying why are such a large number of people being so irrational? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and it's because they have a fear or a constraint that you don't know about. Yeah, um, but if we come back with the agile world and just keep saying just use points and the points can't work between teams, we're just sort of irritating them. Well, <laughs> I want to check in with you on, on that because if we followed Ron's original Ron Jeffrey's original definition, a point is something a pair could deliver in three days or less if they were left alone to do their work. My assumption is that that is always going to be unique to that pair. Because each pair is different and every team's different. And while the teams might all be measuring with the idea of a point equal a day, a, a point for this team and a point for that team are completely different. Exactly. So the, the okay. point value itself makes no sense to compare. And also, uh, you know, like at, it, it, it assumes that when they said that this number of points would take a day, mm-hmm. the assumption was they would be working on that and only that not that end, 17 other things, right? right? So uh, as long as you can isolate a team and have no dependencies on others and make them completely focus on something, that is a reliable way of working. But So what, what you're trying to do with forecasting and using these points and stuff is work out, well, what could change that makes these points no longer an accurate measure relatable to time? Yeah. So you can start off at a point and sort of saying, yeah, the work we're doing now, five points gets done within three days. Okay. But then if you change technology or one of the pairs goes off sick or, you know, um, I don't know, a global pandemic happens and you're suddenly having to work remote from each other, right? Yeah. Random example, right? 
all of a sudden, if you have linked your forecast of time based on something that was linked to a unit of time yeah. in the early days, it's now someone's moved your cheese. It's now completely different than where it was uh, where you left it. Okay. Um, so if we are going to be predictable, we have to be able to account for these discontinuities in history. Okay. And so prematurely linking an arbitrary point value to time yeah. locks you into the conditions that were true at that time. Okay. And some of them you cannot know yet. Yeah. You don't know who's going to be sick. You don't know who's going to leave. You know if Elon Musk is going to take over your company. You have no clue what the conditions are going to God be. God forbid. When you start working on that piece of work, right? Yeah. So, so um, I, I think one of the errors that company is making, and maybe Ron made in the early days, but it was an isolated wrong. It was within a team wrong. It wasn't within an all wrong when he said yeah. that. Is the fact that prematurely linking anything that we do in software to a duration without knowing the conditions that are going to be in effect when we're doing the work. Right. During that duration, we mean the forecast will be inaccurate. Okay, so this is where I get to all the Dan Vicanti books I have on my bookshelf behind me, and I'm thinking we should just look at flow metrics because that is going to tell us the truth. Well, I think it's past tense though. It told you the truth. So okay. at the time you collected those flow metrics, yeah. There was a set of conditions that were true about the technology, the people, the the humanity. And and as long as those things continue unabated, then those flow metrics will be a fairly accurate predictor of the future. Okay. So what we're really in the business of in forecasting is trying to understand what factors no longer exist in the prior flow metrics to work out whether we maybe should delete them and not use them. So it's not about the data, it's the data that you had, um, but is that data still relevant um, yeah. given that half the team's left, um, we're working remote in a different situation, we've okay. just decided to move to a new technology, we're rewriting everything from React in Next.js or something like that. Yeah. Um, any number of factors that you cannot know in advance. And this is a... Uh... I don't know, maybe it's a psychological issue with people that work in Agile. It's sort of like saying, we should just do Spotify. Well, Spotify worked great at Spotify when they invented it. But if your company is not if your company's not Spotify, that model may not work. It, it, it certainly won't. You know, the, the, working and being better than where you are are two different, two different metrics, right? So, I mean, um, it's okay to take someone's other way of doing a forecast or organizing your people yeah uh if it's going to be better than nothing at all so i think that you know using dan mckenney's flow metrics sort of stuff probably works great at a, at a team level where you control the factors that could change okay but when you move out to an organization where you now have a much larger number of people 50 60 teams yeah yeah you you're you're the factors outside of the team suddenly become more important than the factors inside the team okay so if we're basing any forecast on the duration that the team is going to come up with, even whether they use story points, whether they use a burndown chart, whether they just use average velocity, it doesn't really matter what method you you use. Yeah. If that is a very small fraction of the time it takes to get anything done because there's approval cycles or dependencies on infrastructure mm -hmm. or dependencies on other people, then it really doesn't matter how accurate this team estimates how long it's going to take to do the coding piece of their work. Yeah. What matters is... What happens to it then? 
before and after that team gets it. And the larger okay. the organization, it's the, the less the internal factors matter. So in which case, okay. I guess is what I'm saying is, it doesn't really matter what the team estimate the work is going to be in their world. Yeah. If, if 80% of the time he's going to be sitting idle on someone's desk waiting for them to approve it or waiting for someone to come up with an icon or waiting for someone to write a new privacy sure. agreement or waiting for someone to do a legal approval check to see if it if it uh, uses chat GPT in the right way. I mean, there, there's all sorts of factors that are outside of the team's control. Okay. So I think what that company is asking for is a very accurate estimate in their mind, but mm -hmm. a very small part of the delivery process. So they're still going to be dissatisfied at the end of the day because it's still not all the other be, things. It's yeah. not going to be released on, not going to be released anywhere. And okay. the team itself has no way of knowing what it's going to be doing in parallel, what else is going to be competing for their time. Mm -hmm. So when they sort of said that three points equals one day, well, that is on that task. You, you know, I see a lot yeah. of double, quadruple picking of staff resourcing. So now all of a sudden you've just used a random number generator to do your sort of forecast. Oh, so, okay. I, everything you said makes sense to me. Hopefully you make them. I mean, we've talked about this before and I think about it a lot. <laughs> I know you think about it a lot, oh, sorry. but for the people that are listening, like if I'm an executive at a company, I'm listening, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I still need to figure out when all this stuff is going to be delivered because I have to run my business around it. And I do have 50 teams and yes, their work steps on each other, but I need some way of, of replacing that fake safety I got out of my Gantt charts and program plans that tied it all together because yeah. we just used hours before. Yeah, we just used hours before. Now, if we look at other industries who have similar problems, right? I mean, if you're building a railway or a new bridge, um, you know, supply chain, of, anything like that. Yeah, there's a lot of different people that have to work together to get that done. And um, they don't sum up how long it takes to do each individual piece of work and then sum them together to come up with a total. If you look at any of the um, mega projects work from Ben Flyberg or anyone like that, you know, what they sort of say is, um, and you know, even sort of Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky, you know, the thinking fast and slow books, right? Yeah. They say that it's almost impossible to estimate and forecast anything significant by just looking at an internal view, looking at what we know about, what we have to do to assemble that. They sort of say you have to step out and take an outside view. Okay. And sort of saying, when we build a bridge of similar size and distance on similar terrain during the similar times of the year before, how long has it taken? Yeah. And and you'll see most major projects are done by that sort of reference class forecasting of something similar to something we've done before. Mm -hmm. I would be saying to the executive, let's start with that. Let's go through the five previous things that you've done, write mm -hmm. them down and write a rough duration and how much they cost. And now we're able to take new ideas and sort of saying, is it more complex than that or less complex than that? Is it bigger or smaller? And then you will get at least closer than you would ever get asking people for a dollar amount of the time duration estimate. And why does this work? Because it feels like it, I mean, it won a Nobel Prize. I mean, albeit for economics, which doesn't really count, but still, right, the whole concept that, that 
what happened to those other five prior projects that finished was they endured all the stress and the dependency hell and the and the gnashing of approval processes and all that sort of stuff. They all had to work their way and fight their way through that mud to deliver yeah. something. So that means that encompassed in that history is an understanding of how your organization delivers work. Now you you may not like that answer. And that's where they call it leaving agile or someone who had to solve that problem to, to try and sort of reduce the mud and to make things flow smoother to get more of it. Sure. But if you want to know right now how much it costs to do a big project, look at how long it took you to do a prior similar big project, and you will be far closer than stopping your teams doing the work they were doing and asking them to take a really detailed inside look at how long it takes to do a very small part of the process. Okay. It sounds silly, doesn't it? Well, it's a go ahead. But I mean, like if they were building another data center, they they don't they don't work out how, right. much, how many yards of cable they need. They sort of say, last time we built a data center, it cost us you know sixty yeah. million dollars or sixty million pounds, right? I mean, they they would never at the starting point where they're working out whether they should build another data center. A very Rough estimate of how long it's taken to build a prior data center is far better than getting sure. It's not work. We need to do an estimate of how long it's right. We might spend on doing a data center that we might build that's okay. just waste on waste. So when you said that you can't just take all the durations and tie them together, I was like, crap, I have a master's degree in that. That sucks. Um, but then the further you talked about it, I'm like, oh my God, he's going to recommend three point PERT estimation. I mean, it almost yeah. sounds like you're headed in that direction, but that's not very agile, Troy. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but I think for what the executives need, they're, they're not, they don't want us to be average, agile yet. What they want to know is, given the amount of money I could spend, should I even go down this pathway or not? So okay. at the first level of question that they have, we could expedite that without requiring the need for detailed information. In fact, some people would say to say we get a better answer by avoiding the detailed information. Okay. You know, that's the reference class forecasting sort of side of things. If they then decide to go ahead with it and they want to get that number from 60 million to is it is it 55 or is it 65? 60, right. Well now we get to dig into a little bit more detail, but at least now we're doing it on something that even has passed a sniff test of going forward. Okay. So you've got to use different levels of estimating and forecasting. And you know, given that we say no to many more things than we say yes to, the job of a forecast is to say no quicker. <laughs> okay. So if we say it's going to take 60 million, as I was saying, we've only got 10, we're not going to go down that pathway. Or if, if someone says, all right, we want to go to this new framework, we want to rewrite our entire Twitter application. Mm -hmm. And you sort of say, well, to do that, it would take this amount based on last time we rewrote it. It took sure. you know, four years to do. Well, well, I thought it was just going to take a week or two. Yeah. Right? So we as detail-oriented, agile coders and people managing teams yeah. jump right into the detail and use that as our only tool for the job. Okay. <laughs> when we're communicating with people who aren't even sold yet, don't even know whether it's going to go ahead or not. They're still yeah. trying to wrap their head around a rough order of magnitude estimate. Okay. So, so we 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 make an art form of um, telling them it's going to take, be fifty four point nine six five million when all mm -hmm. they really want to know is it's going to be less than ten. So okay, 
we're going to get clarity around at different levels of decision time what what do they want yeah what do they need and okay. i make i make the executives sort of phrase it as mean i need to know is it going to be less than this i need to know is it going to be greater than that i okay. don't want to know what it is i want to know is it going to be on the left or right side of a number i have in your head available. okay so and yeah i'm sorry i i I just want to ask this part really quick. I know you've got this like set of questions you ask, but the but the thing I want to check in on, I know that they're asking when will stuff be done or how much is it going to cost or how many people or whatever. But it sounds to me like this is another one of those situations where they have to learn to ask different questions. And and, and it's going to be rooted in what are you actually scared of or what do you actually need to know? And they think they need to know when it'll be done, but sounds like what you're saying is that's not what they're really trying to figure out. Yeah, I think the higher the organization you get as an executive, the more your simple, well-meaning questions cause absolute chaos in an organization. Yeah. Right. So you got you got to be it's the you got to be careful what what you even mumble in meetings or how you look quizzically at something because the moment that you look quizzically, someone takes that as a a sign that you want accurate estimates or details in something, right? Yeah. So you've got to you've got to you've got to really quench your desire for a question you have for something you really need. And um, when they ask for I need estimates in days, mm -hmm. that that sort of causes a lot of work in teams, and the yeah. teams are rebelling against that. So I'm saying, really. For me to do this thing that no one in the world has ever done before down to a day level estimate is scary. And as I went into software because I needed ultimate control over everything that happened, in fact, mm -hmm. I'm going to write it out line by line until it compiles and does exactly what I say. So you've got the most risk adverse people mm -hmm. having to estimate how long it's going to take to do something they've never done before. So they're always going to estimate for their own safety. And their imagination for things that could go wrong is enormous, right? Well, <laughs> everything, coupled, everything has happened in the last 20 years that have gone wrong. You know, I've got to check for no, the, 176.2 times. I've got to check for undermined yeah. because some people lose that, you know? So the like, tension uh, is that, that one, they're scared they're going to be held to a wrong estimate. But I would also argue that most of the people that I've gotten estimates from all think that they're faster and smarter than they actually are. Or that the problem's simpler than it actually is. Yep. And those two you things just like compound the problem. You get an answer of both in the same room at the same time, right? I mean, yeah. uh, depends who's watching, right? I mean, if you ask someone what or one how long it's going to take to do, and you ask someone in a group situation how long it's going to take to do, you'll get two very different answers. Okay. And the whole concept of um, the cognitive biases that are impact estimation is what led to doing reference bias forecasting, you know, the, the Daniel Kahneman and the Alice Diversity, their whole concept was avoiding the cognitive biases that cause us to give crappy answers. Yeah. Uh, when we're faced with how long something's going to take to do. Okay. So Especially then, white males. It, it sounds to me like if somebody's asking for a uniform form of metrics for the entire organization, that if I was in that situation, the question I should be asking them is, okay, I understand what you're asking for, but why do you want that? What are you going to do with this information? And then maybe there's a way I can answer their informational requests without giving them what they're asking for. 
Yeah, you want to know the decisions they're faced with having to make. Like, so there'll okay. be, there's a couple of reasons for asking for information. One is you need a decision. Yeah. And and, and so um, those estimates for those decisions, I make them turn them into less than or greater than questions. Okay. Uh, um, the second one is I need to um, do something financial with the number. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I want to know... Um, to what degree of zeros do you need that? Or, or certainty do you need that? Yeah. Do you need a plus or minus a million? Do you need a plus or minus 10 million? Um, and do you need it differently? Do you need to know roughly what it is now and roughly what it will, what it, what it, um, do you want to know what it's likely to be and what it could be at its max? Or do you want to know just what it is at its max? Because I can give you both answers, right? But that would change the way you got your teams to estimate the work. Okay. If, if, if it was, we're making a decision about whether we go ahead with something um, and it comes down to um, a deduction we want to get or a reimbursement we want to get for in, you know, innovation and R&D, uh, there'll be a different set of requirements for what they need and when they need it. So it might start off allowed to be broad, but it needs to be accurate at the end. Okay. And we can be very accurate at the end. After we've done it, we can give them the exact number of days it took to do that work. Okay. But if that's what they need for accounting at the end, we shouldn't be trying to guess that at the beginning with an estimate. Yeah. So I found some some companies what done was I can tell you that uh on a, at the end of each month of how much we spend so far and roughly where we are along a continuum of the roadmap that we're going to assume is linear or exponential. So earn value management, right? So, so you, yeah, I was just going to say, you're talking about earned value. You're back to the waterfall, Troy. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm back to the waterfall, but late bound. Okay. Uh, actually, at waterfall, we're doing it. Not waterfall, we're doing it. Uh, so okay. it's not pre-doing it, it's at the after doing it that we can give them the waterfall earned value sort of um, answer. Okay. But all those things emerged for to solve a problem that was actually needed so and value measurement was necessary and still is for, for government sort of work because what are they get sick of doing you're spending all of your budget and then getting nothing for it but i would i would argue that earned value is really all it does is make people feel safe because yeah. A budget at complete assumes everything's going to move at the exact same pace and we're never going to have interrupts and everything will, I mean, they're not, people are not machines that, that work the same way every day. Where it really got used and was necessary was when projects took five years to do. Yeah. Right. Um, So, I mean, the agile way of doing it is sort of saying, set the investment rule of not doing anything more than three months at a time. So I'm not going to sure. ask you for to invest in five years worth of this product work. I want you to invest in three months to get X. So now what we're doing is we're, we're sort of giving the accounting team less exposure because they're yeah. only putting out a quarter at a time. And if you don't perform, we just don't give you next quarter's money. So if you don't like where it's heading, we, sure. we, we, don't, we don't continue to invest. So I tend to change the way that those projects are invested yeah. Rather than sort of saying, let's set up a way of getting estimates in advance for five years' worth of work. And okay. that tends to solve the problem. My executive team now feels like they're in control of the risk. Yeah. And I haven't had to do estimates more than three months in advance, right? 
But the old way, if it was a five-year, like this, just a light bulb went off in my head when you said five years. I mean, that your estimation at that level is so vague. It's like the side of a barn. And now we're saying, okay, it's a four by four square. Use the same tools would be accurate. Yeah, it's impossible. You know, it was impossible when we were doing it. Right. But but it was such a yeah. big target. I mean, yeah, yeah. you could be off by a year, and people would be like, "Oh, we we're only off by a year." Yeah, that's right. But, you know, but now we're off by inches, and it's a much bigger deal. And we want accuracy of the future based on performance of the past, even though what's happening now and in the future is completely different than what's happened in the past. I mean, if you've come up from that world, remember a lot of the people in leadership positions now were coding where I was coding back in the seventies mm-hmm. and the eighties, right? So um, they're just falling back to what they knew. Yeah. Uh, And our job is to sort of give them alternative ways to control the problems they're trying to control, which was blowing out a budget to a huge amount, not getting anything at all for a large sum of money. So, you know, what we need to do as IT leaders is sort of saying, we don't want a big sum of money. We want small amounts of small sums of money repetitively. Yeah. And if we don't perform, you're right to fire us. Okay. Right? So our job is to control the risk at the three-month level, and their job is to control the risk at the year and five-year level, giving up money and not bleeding the company drive for no sure. benefit. And um, we've both got our job to do in managing risk. Okay. Um, at the moment, they're trying to manage our risk and their risk at the same time. Okay. So at the program or portfolio level, just to try to kind of tie this stuff back together they think that they need to know when all 50 projects will deliver or how these 50 projects will sync up or whatever how they're going to balance the resources and the spend and everything across all that um what should they i mean i I still don't know what i would say to somebody in terms of like what if they say well if you don't want us to use points what should we use and i feel like the answer is spoon Right. Yeah. I mean, it gets down to how we invest in and how we fund sort of our projects. And again, that'll be different. If you if you're embarking on a new product that's never been done by anyone before, that's going to require a different way of funding than a fixed set of teams to maintain a product that's currently in production. Yeah. So what they want to do in that case, what I would suggest to them is sort of saying there's an amount we need to maintain and support sustainably a product Uh is the amount we're going to ask for on a yearly basis. Now, if you want to add to that product, uh, here's the amount per year we're going to need. And every three months we'll reassess if you want us to move faster or slower on the pace of innovation for that particular product. So I think from project to a product sort of style of funding but blending, taking, separating the two amounts of money we're getting. Yeah. We're getting an amount of money for sustaining and supporting what we have. And then we have this variable amount of investment we can do for improving and adding. And you get to choose how you fund the innovation in, in that way. Okay. And some projects will have almost no innovation funding and some projects will have almost all innovation funding. Okay. And, and they have now available to them data or they could get data out of the system that will allow them to more closely monitor or more frequently sample and monitor if it seems like they're headed too far off course. 
like looking at the speedometer every five seconds instead of every 10 minutes. Yeah, and and that's the sort of outcome thinking, um, trying to think of who does this well. If you look at flight levels, uh, Uh, the stuff from class Leopold, it it sets outcomes at that level. But what we're really looking for is, is that outcome moving at the pace we expected? And should we be investing more in moving this outcome? So maybe disconnect it from the product and sort of saying what we're funding is movement of some bottom line metric inside an organization. Yeah. Uh, number of users signing on, number of users um, moving between professional to enterprise tiers. So so what you're doing there is you're not you're you're funding the movement of something that is measurable. You're not funding an intangible, all right, we got that feature coded and delivered. Did they use it? Was it, it making any difference? Right? Yeah. So they tend to they tend to fund um, fund outcomes rather than products in, the, in in their case. And what they're looking for, and what you're trying to give your executive team leaders, is the ability to sort of say, from a strategy perspective, I need these outcomes to move super quick, and yeah. these ones not to go backwards. And if you have to borrow from somewhere, take it from here, okay. <laughs> which will send some metrics backwards, but to accelerate the movement of others. So we're trying to build an economy around actual measurable things that have occurred, not these intangible things we did and hope Okay, yeah. Right? So I'm I'm trying to get my executive I work with to fund outcome movement and things which actually can be measured accurately rather than progress of delivery of something which may or may not have an impact we wanted. So you just said something I think is really important. You said measured accurately, not estimated accurately. That's right. So you yeah. can, as a you can look at the lagging indicator and see, oh, that actually was five minutes. Um, but guessing, I mean, it's like a fool's errand guessing in advance because you don't know. That's right. I mean, accounting by almost definition is a past tense activity. Yeah. So you, you can. You can wait until it's done till you write it down in a book and put it into a into a ledger somewhere. Sure. What they need in advance is to know that they've funded enough to maintain a strategy and an outcome that the company needs to maintain. Okay. Um, so I could stand outside my house and look at the electric. I'm assuming these, I, I don't have a house anymore, but electric meter outside the house. You know, I used to, as a little kid, I would watch that dial spin around. I can watch that happen. And all of that is past tense. It's all history that I'm watching happen. But that doesn't tell me what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's the job of strategy, right? The job of strategy is to drive towards tomorrow, not just to idly watch it pass you by. Yeah. And- and by getting estimates on on things that we're building that may or may not have the impact you expected, you're, you you are driving in a reactive way, which is why their requests are irrational, right? Because, yeah. I mean, you've got to tell them, aren't you sick of not getting what you expected? <laughs> like, like, um, what, yeah. like, you must be sick of that, right? Which is why you're being so dogmatic about they're sick of it so they want you to just be better at guessing more estimation working and you know and and it's 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 a catch-22 so um i think to be agile we need to tell them that um 
started doing business in 2023 and beyond is being able to move faster than your competitors and change faster than your competitors. And agile is a tool to allow us to change quickly. Yeah. But at the moment, what you're asking us to do is to almost lock in to the, what we were doing in advance so that you don't even have the chance of changing. And then they, well, how do I measure a change? Well, they start, tell us what you want in the future and then tell us how you will know when you get there. Yeah. And we'll start measuring those things. And then we'll let these smart propeller heads in the teams work out. I need that outcome to move, get it done. Yeah. Um, and if it doesn't move as fast as you want, increase the funding. If it, um, if something gets sacrificed elsewhere that you didn't want to lose, give it more funding. But do it on a quarterly basis so you've got the ability to shift the, the amount of money you have around to the right spot to drive towards the strategy that you want. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm more about in, I want us to budget and invest in strategies and outcomes rather okay. than work. Because work is a, is a hypothetical. It's going to change. This is awesome. Um, I appreciate you taking time out to talk about this and you kind of, my brain got bigger. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about the course, a little bit more about what people would get from the courses that you're offering? Because I know that a lot of this stuff, if people want to look at probabilistic forecasting or or any of that, you have a lot that you make available to people if they want to um, understand it at a deeper level. And I think if people are listening to this conversation, they're probably interested in it. So it w- if you don't mind, can you talk a little yeah, bit about that? Sure. I mean, I have so all those, the stuff I have, the tools I have, they're, they're all free on, on the folks objective website i'm sure there'll be a link somewhere there right i'll see what you can do but the uh in the forecasting side of it which is relevant to this at a team yeah. or a product level you know what what is the most important thing that someone above you needs to know and i tell them that, that our job is to never say no our job is to you know when someone asks you when something's going to be done they've already got a date in their head your job is to sort of say, what is that? Or to invent it if they won't give it to you. Set it for three months in advance. Because the number one thing they really want to know is the first thing they're not going to get. Okay. So out of a, set, out of a product or a set of features, which one am I not going to get? And where's the, where's the where, red shirt on the away mission? Yeah, we're, we're trying to do a forecast of getting everything. Um, and where their decision really would be is, I'm not going to get that. Like, say we're doing a credit card. Uh, how could we split the work so that we can deliver it in an iterative fashion? Well, maybe let's, which credit card vendor do we get the most transactions through? Visa card, MasterCard, right? Let's do that first, Visa card and MasterCard. So let's change payment provider on that one to save yeah. 1%. Very measurable outcome. Sure. costs in vogue at the moment in a lot of companies. So uh, we'll do Visa card and MasterCard first. And then we'll do, uh, well, we've got, to, we've got a choice between doing Bitcoin or American Express, which one are we going to do first? Dave. Right, right now, I would say American Express. Hey, okay, let's do it. Make <laughs> it so. American Express, and then we do Bitcoin. Now, what we do in the workshop there is we work out, we start trying to do everything and have to say no. And then we start trying to work out, well, how can we split it into multiple deliverables that contain the same type of work? In other words, the same okay. risk profile. We've yeah. done this before. We know we can do Visa card and MasterCard. Bitcoin, not so sure. We've never done Bitcoin before. And it's tanking. So, so don't don't put two features of very dissimilar risk in the one release because now you can't 
one of them you can forecast accurately and one of them you yeah. can't forecast really at all until you've done. So we, we lay them out and we give a tick. Yes, going to make it give, using historical data. That's got a good chance of making it. That's got a good chance of making it. Hmm. Marriage okay. Express might miss. Is that acceptable? Well, yeah. I, I, um, how far is it going to miss? Looking at this probably by about half a quarter. Okay. Is it still worth doing? You know, I think the marketing campaign on Bitcoin is was or is sort of might, might be better. So they might choose to swap Bitcoin and sure. put that in ahead of American Express or, or something like that. Think of something else. Okay. They might choose to do fraud detection because they want to do that. It's easier, right? yeah. Okay. But our job is is to tell them the first thing in the list that they want that they're not going to get and either change the prioritization order of the work or to uh, split the work in smaller deliverable increments that drive an outcome yeah. um, as quickly as possible. Um, and as we haven't started it, the ones below the line, we don't even really need to estimate yet. It's okay. The only one we really need accurate estimates for are the ones up to the point of the first no. So, okay. and as we learn more as we do the work, let's move through that. So we can start off being very rough, but we'll need to be accurate, you know, when, when it when it's in scope of being the next thing we might start. So. Okay. You're only going to do the decision about how much, and I'm talking about the size again, or even reference class forecasting, yeah. so between 50 and 60 stories. I'm not talking about detailed story points. And then we go from there. And that's, if we've got historical data, we can use it. Mm -hmm. And then the next part of the course is I then sort of say, well, what could blow up and make our historical data completely crappy? Well, if we've okay. worked overtime for the last month to try and get crunch time for a release, yeah, we take the historical data of crunch time and use it to forecast next quarter, what does the team have to do? Yeah. They now have to crunch the entire quarter, right? So what should we do? We should delete the data when the team was under stress. So we keep growing. Refining what you're looking at. Okay. Like, you're going to use flow metrics, but were those flow metrics captured under duress? Like were the was the team being waterboarded when they were coding yeah. for the last six weeks? Yes, they were. Then don't, don't make them continue to be waterboarded. Or, or uh, maybe a less, a less hypothetical example, the team when they first, when COVID first started, and they didn't know how to work together remotely, to the mm -hmm. team at the end of the pandemic when it was like, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah, and that's the things we look at. And then you've got like, what most of the year you start changes the outcome. If you know it's Australia, Right off December and January, December we're thinking about getting drunk, and January we we're still hungover from being drunk, right? So, so you move. So, if you start in in November, you'll get a very different forecast about when it's going to deliver, depending if you start in February or March, right? Yeah. And in Europe, right off August in Asia, like so. So, it's not just the work that you've got to try and look at. It's the it's the the way that delivery pace oscillates. Yeah. I mean, and we spend all of our time, if it's a amount of work we're going to do divided by the pace we do the work, we spend all of our time estimating the numerator and not the denominator. But the denominator is equally and sometimes more variable than the amount of work we've got to do. Yeah. So even if we did story point estimates of the amount of work we had to do, it's half of the equation and not the big half. Yeah. So I, I spend a lot of time in the workshop teaching how to understand flow of organizational dynamics. 
Okay. Um, for delivery pace. What could change delivery pace of this team? Half the team leaving to move into a new technology, um, you know, being taken over by a billionaire. Are they going through agile transformation? Have they? How many times? You know, like, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, uh, is what's the average tenure of their CTO? What's the there's a whole heap of things. How often do they reorg? Yeah. Some companies that's just a guaranteed every three months, right? I mean, wow. So um, so all those things are going to affect your delivery pace and and um hence affect duration. So no matter how accurate you estimate the number of story points and how much you align them to a hypothetical day, yeah. We've changed the unit of day based on organizational design and dynamics. Nothing wow. to do with you know, pandemics have done that on your behalf, you know, yeah, there's, there's yeah. any number of reasons. So I tend to try and just build a curiosity around what what could change. Okay. Uh, which data is best to capture? Which data should I delete? Yeah. Okay. And they can and they can go to Focus Objective and they can learn all about this and I'll include a link to that and the repository yeah, and other things you have available. And there's lots of articles there and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the... the the training, I tend to do a lot of private in-house training where they want to run their team through this sort of type of thinking. Yeah. Again, for the same need that you're having with your client, right? Mm -hmm. My team's not at estimating. Can you help? Yeah, yeah okay. tell them to stop. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So I, uh, I, I say yes and nod and then teach the teams <laughs> how to communicate with their executives better, which is okay. what they're doing, right? Yeah. Um, and um, then... You know, if I do the public training, which is moving more self-paced, you know, I, I I give you a bit of theory and then I sort of say, now you got to go away and think about your situation. Yeah. Don't come back and do the next bloody lesson until you've thought about this. Because I, so I hope I haven't answered your question, but like the point. Oh, sorry, you, you you did good. Me, you did very good. It's a very small part of the forecasting and communication equation. Yeah. So I'm frustrated that I think the fact that we bring it up in agile. Is beneficial because it's just simplifying the the needs and it's just sort of prodding the uh, the angry cat of executives that we yeah. have, right? You know, it's just sort of like, no, we yeah. won't do that. We're doing points. No, you don't understand points because you're not agile. Yeah, you're too old. You'll never get this, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're sort of saying, well, get off my lawn. You will estimate in days. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Cool. And, uh, hence, we, um, yeah, I don't want this to. I want us to be the last generation that thinks about forecasting this naively. Well, and I mean, AI willing, everybody will have a virtual Troy in their company within 10 years. Yeah, ChatGPT. I mean, why would ChatGPT give a better result on asking how long it's going to take to do a project? Because remember, it's trained on history. Yeah. It's trained on what has happened. It's unemotionally going to sort of say, it sounds like you're doing a credit card vendor. I've seen seven examples of well, credit card that's being changed, and it's going to take you two years to do. And you're going to, and it's going to be more accurate because it's an external view, um, yeah, without company bias. And you need C3PO there saying you know, your odds of success are a billion and seventeen to one, or whatever. Yeah. And then you can decide what you want and to you do. Decide. You've got data to make a decision on. Yeah. But at cool. the end of the day, someone's trying to give you money to do work and they just want to know that it's not going to go into a big, dark pit of despair. And cool. uh, so we've got to answer that question too. We yeah. can't answer it to six decimal places. 
All right. Well, Troy, thank you very much. I really appreciate you making time for this. And I'm going to include links to your site and ways people can get in touch with you if they have follow-up questions. Um, and thank you again for teaching me a whole lot of things at once. <laughs> All right. Thank you.